Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we've got Dan Watkins, Ian Mayer, Peter Johnson, John Tarbin, and I'm Hazel Burton. On this show, we have got a brand new set of recommendations for you. So if you have completed all of Netflix, we've got some new ideas that you might want to start watching or reading. And we also have some spur of the moment quizzes that have just been invented in the last five minutes. <laughs> some are still being invented from uh, what I can see on John's webcam. It's almost there. Okay. If I almost said, I mean nowhere near there at all. <laughs> just like normal then. <laughs> yes. So we've got some recommendations and a quiz set by John and Dan. And that's our show. So let's get started. We are recording this podcast in sensible separate locations, but we still wanted to bring all of the nerdiness to you. So um, we hope you're doing very, very well uh, in these strange times that we're living in. How is everybody else? I am good. I am working from home. I am getting less exercise than normal and drinking more beer than normal. So that's a good combination health wise, I think. I have finally got the opportunity to finish watching Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> it's probably the only way you would get to finish that series. Probably, yeah. Three three weeks of lockdown means I'll actually get round to it. <laughs> and um, Mr. Ian Mayer, hello. My friends, you're here in the void. <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> I, I have, how is everything? How's the world? Is everything good? How did um, Brexit go? We, oh. What's happening? <laughs> we, have, we have some news for you, Ian. I'm, I'm, oh. You might want to be sitting down for this. <laughs> so I have to ask, Ian, have you like tried escaping any time uh, recently? Because I think you might have done a knock-on effect. <laughs> there was like this giant floating mirror like in Superman 2 and I smashed it. Um, it seemed like a good idea. But now you're here, so it was. This is amazing. <laughs> so we're all in Ian's void. It's interesting. <laughs> it's crowded in here. Yeah. Looks suspiciously like my flat. But the world's going fine, right? Everything's good in the world. Sure, why not? Cool. That's <laughs> so good to know. Okay, so let's start with our recommendations. This is where we have been watching or, or um, just enjoying something new to us, and we would like to share that with you so that you might partake in it as well. I would like to start by recommending a, a brand new film which is available on Apple+. Plus. It's called The Banker. It's set in 50s and 60s America, and it stars Anthony Mackie and Samuel L. Jackson, who play two of the first African-American bankers in the United States. It centers mostly around uh, Anthony Mackie's character, who is a bit of a, a maths genius. He's from Texas, um, but he moves to Los Angeles with his wife and young son, and he has dreams of becoming a real estate investor. But America in the 50s has slightly different ideas about that and racism prevents him from following that dream. He then meets a nightclub owner by the name of Joe Morris, who's played by Samuel L. Jackson. Um, he, he has a bit of cash stored up and he agrees to be his, his co-investor. But they come to realise that they can't be the front of the business. Um, so they hire Nicholas Holt's character, Matt Steiner, to pose as the owner of their real estate business. 
And there's a really, really fun training montage where they try and teach him golf and the basics of real estate investing. So it's more fun than it sounds. There's someone who's trying to learn golf <laughs> and real estate. What ends up happening is that they effectively start to integrate a number of previously segregated neighborhoods in Los Angeles by selling and renting to black families. That goes really well. And soon Bernard Garrett sets his sight back on his hometown of Texas. Racist bank practices had excluded black people from receiving loans for small businesses and home ownership. So he wants to turn that around. Nicholas Holt is still involved and he's getting more and more confident. He handles the sale of the bank um, and with Garrett's help behind the scenes, he then tries to persuade the two of them to buy a second bank. And that's where things start to go wrong. Um, I won't say anything more than that because I don't want to um, spoil the, the rest of the plot of the film. Um, but I, what? No, just we've had quite a lot of plot already. Sorry. <laughs> the end credits remain completely unspoiled, so that's that, that's fine. I thought it was a really engaging, really really smart film. Samuel L. Jackson is awesome. He's the more extrovert and the more flamboyant of the two characters. Anthony Mackie's character is more understated, but he's the more of the heart of the film. Um, and you really follow him when his motivations start to change from personal wealth to political change. The sets are amazing as well. So you really get the, the 1960s LA feel. It's pretty pacey, um, although I, I would say my eyes glossed over a little bit. The many banking lessons and the terminologies and calculus lessons that are taking place. <laughs> but Nicholas Holt is a really, really interesting character because he ends up trying to balance loyalty um, to um, the two men with his own ambitions as well, which are egged on by his wife. So he's really interesting. He's not just a one note character. The film was supposed to come out in December as, you know, a late awards contender, but it was delayed and had a much, much quieter release um, a few weeks ago. Just uh, I think it might have been out in cinemas, but it, it's mainly just been released on Apple Plus. And that's because there's been a number of sexual harassment claims levied at uh, one of the producers. His name's on the credits, but I mean, he's not like the guy who wrote it or anything, is he? He's Garrett's real life son. So he does appear in the film as a little boy. But yes, he has had some accusations levied at him. So they've just kind of released it quietly on Apple Plus. But, you know, that aside, um, it's, it, it's a really, really great film. Um, it's the kind of film that I would have loved to see on a Sunday afternoon at the Tyneside Cinema. It's a pretty good home watch, too. I, I, I did really, really enjoy it. I would definitely recommend it. Have you been working your way through the Apple TV stuff? I've seen The Morning Show and I really, really enjoyed that. It got better and better as the series went on. Yeah, it does. I think I've got a free trial for Apple and haven't quite got around to setting it up yet. To be honest, I'm not sure whether I have to watch it on an Apple device or whether you can get it on your TV if you don't have an Apple TV. Certain modern TVs and Android devices as well can play the Apple okay. TV app. I've just got it on my Fire Stick. My question is then, is it worth getting around to signing up to see this film? Well, if it's free, then yes. <laughs> Absolutely. To be honest, I haven't explored too much of that back catalogue yet, but the new stuff that they're bringing out, you know, they've got 100% record from me. I've enjoyed both things that I've watched. It's trying to find the balance between all of the different, you know, streaming platforms that we've got. Mm. You know, we just got Disney Plus a couple of weeks ago and we're trying to you know, work our way through that as well. But now we have the time. 
Indeed. <laughs> so how many bankers out of 10, Hazel? <laughs> I would give it a seven and a half bankers out of 10. One junior. Uh, we seem to have lost John. <laughs> Just, I am now done. You've finished your homework. I have finished my homework, yes. I apologise. <laughs> you missed all the recommendations, John. <laughs> I, I, I'm doing a hazel. What, what happened in the last five minutes? <laughs> uh, the banker. Yes, there's a banker and he, he banks. It's a spin-off from the Ben Affleck film, The Accountant. <laughs> that was a terrible film. I've not seen it, but it got good reviews. Well, if you call a film The Accountant, there was very, very little double-entry bookkeeping in it. <laughs> Surprisingly disappointed. Oh, well, there's lots of um, writing on uh, blackboards in this film. Lots of calculus and algebra and numbers, if you like that sort of thing. You'll, you'll go wild. I was uh, reading about Apple's strategy for making films and how it differs from Netflix. Like Netflix have got to spend all the money, produce 100 films approach. Whereas Apple, it seems, are trying to target a smaller number of more uh, generally classy productions. Given the early evidence, do you think that that's what they're going for? The productions that I've seen look amazing. They've spent a lot on production value um, and they seem to be going for pretty highbrow themes. Mm. So, yeah, they seem to be um, carving out their own little niche and we'll see, see how it goes. But, yeah, so far so good for me. I've got a feeling that um, Apple might buy Fox at some point the Fox Studio bits that don't seem a particularly good fit for Disney because Fox Studios and a lot of the TV stuff doesn't really seem to fit in with Disney Plus or their strategy and Apple seem to have a content problem. In terms of quantity, yes. I think most of us have got like the, the year's free subscription which you get when you buy pretty much any Apple product but I don't think there's enough on there to warrant paying £5 a month once that's done compared to say Disney Plus which is a similar price and has hundreds of films and TV shows on it. I don't think there's enough there at the minute. Because I had Disney for a week and I didn't find much that I wanted to watch. Mainly, you know, I haven't got a kid of the right age that needs to watch that sort of stuff. And a lot of the sort of Marvel back catalogue stuff I've already seen and they've not got much of the new stuff online yet. No, I think in a year's time when some of the Marvel TV shows pop on, it might be more enticing, but at the minute there's the Mandalorian and there's a, a Jeff Goldblum thing that looks like it might be good fun. That's pretty good. I've watched one of those. Mm-hmm. Well, my my recommendation this episode is in fact something from Disney Plus. So, uh, mm. okay. Why don't you go ahead, Dan? Uh, my recommendation is a documentary series on Disney Plus called The Imagineering Story. Oh, I've heard about this. Uh, narrated by Angela Bassett, uh, aka the Queen from Black Panther. And it's all about basically the making of the theme parks, the design of the rides, the new technologies they came up with. And it's absolutely fascinating. Obviously, with it being on Disney+, Plus, they've got the entire archive to draw on. So you see design sketches, you see behind-the-scenes footage, you see archive documents, you've got video footage from the 50s of the original Disneyland being built, and they're really making great use of that. I don't know whether I would describe it as pulling its punches, but it is certainly written from a Disney perspective. Uh, They acknowledge things like financial problems. They acknowledge things that didn't work, but they're not going to dig down deep into Disney-related scandals or anything like that. I don't think anyone would expect that on the Disney streaming network. The theme park rides is a part of Disney that I've always been interested in. 
and hearing firsthand from the people who built the animatronics for Pirates of the Caribbean or the relatives of the people who were the ghosts in the Haunted Mansion. It's really, really good to watch. I've seen the first three, which deal with Walt Disney's lifetime uh, and then into the creation of Epcot in Florida. And then uh, we're up to the 90s at this point. Paris has opened, uh, has caused a fair bit of financial difficulty. And then the story will continue uh, in the next episodes we watch. But it's just fascinating, especially if you've been to any of these parks, to look at the the work and the design process that's gone into it and some of the personal touches as well. For such a huge corporation, a lot of the Imagineers are relatives or children of the original ones from the 1950s. And for all Walt Disney himself is sort of a little bit of an enigma. The reverence that every single person speaks about him with 55 years after his death is amazing to hear. So if you're going to get Disney Plus or you've got it, uh, that would be my first non-Star Wars, non-Marvel port of call. I've seen the first episode and I thought it was really good. To be honest, I didn't realise it was a series and then was really disappointed where it stopped. <laughs> I thought, oh, is that it? So I yeah, didn't realise th- there were more, so it's good to know there are. Yeah, I think like uh, Mandalorian, they're releasing it weekly uh, because the very first opening of the first episode, you saw little bits from the creation of Galaxy's Edge, which was obviously only a couple of years ago. So I think they're going right up to date I don't know how many episodes there are. I think episode four, the next one I'm due to watch, is dealing with the further expansion of Disney World in Florida to include things like Animal Kingdom. So it's a touchy subject to me because I should have been there. I should have just got oh. back from there a few days ago. Um, I was going to fly out to Disney World for, to go to Galaxy's Edge. And um, about 12 hours before we were due to go, they decided to close all the parks down. Why? Why? What's, what's happened? Um. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so this documentary is just a really interesting behind-the-scenes look at a bunch of incredibly clever people who blend creativity and artistry with cutting-edge tech and create things that I think everyone here will really enjoy the chance to experience again, hopefully in the not-too-distant future. Do they tell you where you can find Walt Disney's cryogenically frozen head? No, when, when it gets to the, the point of Walt's death at the end of episode one, I can recall Amy saying to me, this is too sad, I don't want to watch old men cry. <laughs> it's very, very clear that he was such a huge influence on every one of those people's lives. It's so moving to hear and see those reactions decades and decades after it happened. Um, and many of them carried on working for Disney for a really long time afterwards. There's lots of lovely little touches that you, I think, can only get when you have all the access, as Disney clearly did when they were making this. Okay, I am going to recommend a TV series that I'm a little bit behind on. Um, It premiered in 2018, so there's two series now, but I've only just caught with it, and that is a TV show on HBO called Succession which is created and written by Jess Armstrong, who is half of the team behind Peep Show in the UK. And he also did some work on uh, The Thick of It um, and In the Loop and Veep. So kind of from that school of wordy, nasty British sitcom 
moving into glossy American drama, which is sort of an interesting mix of perspectives. Succession is the story of a character who is definitely not Rupert Murdoch in any way whatsoever. (laughs) It's a eight-year-old head of a media family, his own theme park, CV stations, satellites, and so on. Uh, We start on his 80th birthday, where his family are gathered, and there is an expectation that he is going to hand over the running of the company to one or more of his children, who all have their difficulties in different ways. And at the party, he announces that he's not actually going to do this. He's going to carry on for a few years. And also, he'd quite like his new wife to have an increased share in the company. This goes down sort of like the proverbial bag of sick. And then at the end of the very first episode, he has a massive stroke, which hospitalizes him and makes him quite weak, perhaps for the first time in his life. And and it's a story of how this family copes and how the various children all in some ways want to have their piece of the pie. If you imagine sort of um, King Lear set in a media empire, that might be a good way of looking at it. It's one of my favourite things that I've seen on TV recently. It's really, really good. It's very, very pitch black comedy. It starts off funnier than it ends, oddly enough, because as things get darker and twistier, some of the humour goes as you're just confronted with just the horribleness of this family. I've heard it's amazing, but I've also heard that they are all terrible people, which sort of puts me off a little bit. Yeah, um, Louise isn't a massive fan of it for that reason. There's not a single character who isn't a piece of shit, essentially. They're all horrible, Mm -hmm. broken, damaged people. Brilliantly acted, but if you're looking for a show where you've got somebody to root for or some hope that it's going to be okay then this is probably not the show for you. Brian Cox is amazing in it as like the patriarch of the family, so obviously channeling Rupert Murdoch, and he's having kind of a bit of a late career renaissance at the minute. But the most valuable player, oddly enough, is um, Kieran Culkin. Really? Mm. McCall is the sub-brother who is the youngest of the kids. Almost as if you have like the hair and the spare, as they say, like William and Harry. So like you've got the one who has been obviously groomed to run the company and then you've got the the younger son who was a bit lost in his role in life, um, but uh, he's really, really funny in it. He's just boundlessly energetic and lights up the screen every time he's on it, which is you know a surprise mm. considering you wouldn't really expect that from him in the past, but it, it's well, a perfect role. He was one of the best things in Scott Pilgrim. He was actually, yes, yeah. yeah. He's looking more and more like his brother as he gets older, though, which is quite weird. He should be looking less like him as he gets older. <laughs> but do you not think there's this weird thing about former child stars? They all look a bit odd as adults. Yeah, Haley Joel Osment. Yeah. He looks like a giant baby, Haley Joel Osment. It's quite strange. It's like yeah. He's got his small child's face on a big grown man's body, and that's not right. And I don't know if that's the thing about our perception of him, because we still partially see him as that small mm-hmm. person, unnaturally grown <laughs> and moved yeah. forward in time. Or maybe it's something about certain physical characteristics that make you more likely to be a child star, but then it doesn't pay off later in life. I don't know. That, that, that cuteness as a kid can yeah. just look quite scary as an adult, perhaps. Mm-hmm. A lot of child actors I've known have always looked younger than they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they can play roles better because they're just, you know, a bit more mentally developed, but yeah. still look like a kid. And I think that maybe mm. moving forward a few years, maybe it does weird things to your face i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's written by just armstrong as i said before so it's got a lot of that 
Tikovitz in the loop peep show, very, very quick, witty vibe to it. Almost like the West Wing almost in places as well, like the overlapping dialogue and everybody speaks in one-liners and quotes and have a lot more eloquence than they would be in real life. It's not perfect. There's a few things that don't work. Um, The daughter, she's about to get married, but also has a man from the past, and that veers into soap opera a little bit. Mm. And there is always a whiff of it could turn into Dallas or Dynasty if it wasn't careful, but it's managed to avoid that so far. Now, I've I've recently heard of a concept, which is a kind of way of doing television, which they call a comedy-shaped show. So something like Russian Doll is a horror, but it kind of works like a comedy. It kind of looks like a comedy. Something like Fleabag even is sort of very comedy shaped, but has a, has a deep drama in it. And I get yeah. that impression with Succession that it kind That's of... That's a perfect description, yeah. Yeah, That's it exactly. kind of frames itself as a family mm. dynamic sitcom, but has this jet black vein of drama running through it. Lulls you into a full sense of security. Indeed. Yeah. I mean, a few things happen later on in the series that I can't say without spoiling it, but you know, you, 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 you do get some emotion, certainly... I've seen a couple of episodes and really enjoyed it, and then it went off Sky Digital. But um, it feels like it's very much in my ballpark of this sort of black comedy drama. It's worth watching for the writing and for the performances. Brian Cox, who just plays a, a monster magnificently. I would give it nine tabloid newspapers out of ten. <laughs> right. Sounds good. I'll, I'll probably never get to watch it, because Judith just won't watch it. Unlikable characters. Yeah. You always have to have someone to root for. Which kind of brings me on to mine, actually. The Hunt, which is a horror movie written by Damon Lindelof and Nick Coos, most recently responsible for Watchmen, which was probably one of the best series of last year. It's an inversion of an old plot where rich people hunt the poor, which you can trace the roots back to, I think there's a 1920s story called The Greatest Game. But this time, it's the liberal elite who are hunting redneck Trump supporters rather than the rich right wing doing the hunting of the poor people which is what more typically happens in this sort of story. It's a Blumhouse production who seem to have been making loads of really good stuff over the last couple of years and seem to be on a roll since Get Out. So they're responsible for Paranormal Activity, Insidious, The Purge and the current set of Halloween movies. But they've also been involved with other stuff you might not expect such as Whiplash, Black Klansman and the new version of The Invisible Man that came out a month or so ago, which I'd recommend for anyone who hasn't seen that. (laughs) Not an intentional joke. (laughs) This movie, again, is best known for being delayed because there was a couple of mass shootings in the US and obviously, given the theme, it was felt that it was a bad time to release. But there probably isn't a good time to release if you're going to do a movie about mass shootings. It came out in the cinemas for a week and then was released on streaming services for about 16 quid in the UK. The idea is instead of going spending money on a cinema ticket, you would spend one amount to, say, Amazon and then two or three of you might watch it. Considering how cheap cinema prices are over here now, yeah. it would cost more for us to rent it than for two of us to go and see it in the cinema, which seemed a little odd. We often go to a view cinema, which costs a fiver, compared to, say, every man is, what, 13 quid something each? It's over a tenner, certainly. You do get to spill food all over yourself in the dark in the <laughs> every man's cinema, which you don't get I to I don't do think that's view. compulsory, though. <laughs> you can do that at home as well. <laughs> yes. yes, and it's easier to change your trousers. Its nominal star is Betty Gilpin, who plays a complete opposite to the stuck-up character she normally plays in Netflix's Glow. It also features a fairly unrecognisable Hilary Swank as the leader of the Liberals. 
Where it works best is it's a fairly trashy, low-budget chase movie with decent splattery effects that are more about surprising and shocking you rather than churning your stomach. It's the sort of thing where you go, oh, when someone gets it unexpectedly. Some of the political stuff is questionable. Perhaps the idea is to say that both sides can be wrong. I don't know. It, it seems to have got mired in all of that. I described it as um, South Park politics in that it just skews everybody and doesn't necessarily take sides. So, so I, th- you know, I think it's a satire aimed at both the left and the right. I suspect that just means both sides probably hate it rather than necessarily <laughs> thinking it was a good thing. But it, it does seem a bit odd that the side who complain about global warming, gun control and um, too much sugar in your soft drinks go around shooting everyone. Seems pretty implausible. Aren't the liberal elite the bad guys in Get Out as well? Are they the liberal elite? Yeah, he voted for Obama. He was oh, quite clear right, on okay. that. Twice. Yeah, maybe this is a Blumhouse pattern. But it, and the main advantage of it is that because it doesn't follow the trope you've seen a million times, you don't really know where the plot's going next. So it does have a few good surprises here and there as a result. Uh, John, you've seen it, haven't you? Yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. There's some nice cameos in there. So uh, Emma Roberts is in there. The guy who plays Dennis in It's Always Sunny in America is there. So you've got a, a lot of recognisable names, some of whom, without spoiling it, are in it for longer than others. But there's a genuine surprise as to who lives and who dies and how they die because there's no clear, this is the character you meet at the beginning that you're going to follow all the way through. I mean, it was only 90 minutes long and it felt like it sagged in the middle. But I overall, I really enjoyed it. I was amazed it got a 15 rating over here because it is... It's an R in the US. Yeah. Yeah. And I think things like the success of movies like Joker meant that they gave it another push as well after sort of movies yeah. with Narcificate had been doing a bit better of late. Mm-hmm. It's actually similar almost to the joke in that the world's screwed and nobody's talking to each other or that people can't just get together and communicate in the middle and the underclass being pushed down by the rich. But obviously it's not anything like the joke, it's a lot lighter. I, I really enjoyed it, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think mainly because of its trashiness. I think that's what makes it fun. Yeah, don't go in expecting a serious discourse on right and left-wing politics in America. Go in expecting Battle Royale with Rednecks. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think I would give it seven and a half disappearing heads out of ten. <laughs> I will second your recommendation of The Invisible Manda. I thought that was a brilliant film. Oh yeah, it was really good. Yeah. I don't know if anyone else has seen that yet. No, well worth no. it. And that does what I like with horror films where you get an allegory in there underneath the sheen of the horror. So really it's it's a film about domestic abuse rather than a film about an invisible man. Yeah. While still being really fun and entertaining as a genre film. I'm a big fan of Elizabeth Moss. I think she's great. Yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. I wrote a song about Elizabeth Moss, which was basically saying that she was quirky and cool, but also a Scientologist, so was a fool. (laughs) So, Ian, your recommendation. (laughs) Hello. Um, Yeah, so my recommendation is going to be kind of difficult for me to talk about for two reasons. One, I don't want to tell you much about it. (laughs) And two... I haven't finished it yet, but I thoroughly believe I am in the presence of a masterpiece and I just don't want to spoil it for anyone. This is a comic book called Sabrina, which is not Sabrina the Teenage Witch, which is a different comic book. It's by a cartoonist called Nick uh, Danasso, who's from Illinois, who I previously had never heard of. But a good friend recommended this to me 
And so I bought this massive tome. It's like 200 odd pages, although it is on Comixology if you want to get hold of it in a digital format. I have been absolutely blown away by this. It's the story of the disappearance of a woman and the impact it has on um, several people around her. Her boyfriend, Terry, and her sister, Sandra, and sort of their, the people around them. So Terry suffers from massive depression and is moving in with an old school friend who now works on an army base in Colorado. Whereas Sandra lives, has, has not moved, she lives back where she used to live and um, is just sort of trying to get on with her life. The actual book is a thing of beauty. It's rendered very kind of simply. The art style reminds me of instruction diagrams, like how, you know, how to put your seatbelt on and that kind of thing. The story is about isolation. It's about distance between people. It's a bit about social media. Now, I've already hit a twist in the book, and it's making for very, very, very interesting reading. And I don't want to go into too much of what the story is actually about, but... This is one of those works which reminds you how good a medium can get. Every decision clearly matters. The space between panels is tiny, which creates this sense of claustrophobia on even big pages. The colours that are used, when you see them again, how that triggers memory of what's on another page. All these little decisions have just created something superb. It's just a unique piece of work. I'm so used to consuming quite commercial media. I watch a lot of superhero films, a lot of sci-fi, and when I get comics, they're generally quite commercial comics, which are produced on like a monthly schedule to a particular format. And I love these, but it's like if you've been watching a bunch of superhero films, then go back and watch early Scorsese or, you know, any of these master filmmakers. It somehow triggers that bit in your brain when you're going, okay, there's something more here. There's something more that can be done with this medium. And this is one of those books. So I wholeheartedly recommend it without wanting to say nearly anything about it. (laughs) (laughs) It's already been optioned by Drew Goddard to create a film version of it. He can handle a twist pretty well. He's the director of Cabin in the Woods, is that right? Yes. Yes. That one, yeah. Worked on Angel. Yeah, that's right. If the storytelling and the twists are as good as you say they are, they're in good hands. The cartoonist made an awful lot of pages of this book and then shelved it. He didn't want to complete the book because he thought it said something real which may impact real people. And something changed in his mind. It was like a conversation with his wife, I believe, that like actually said, no, there's something good here. And he removed about six pages. He added 20. And it became last year the first comic book to appear on the Man Booker Prize long list. Wow. Mm. I'd never heard of it. I follow comics. A friend of mine recommended it. And it, it just, it's just like being given a stick of dynamite or something. I've been very, very impressed with this. <laughs> <laughs> That's my recommendation. Wow. Excellent. Um, I will be checking that out. Yeah, please do. I, a- I, I hope it goes massively downhill two pages after here <laughs> so when this comes out in a week or so's time everyone's like what the fuck Ian um, I'm in the void no one can get me why, why, are you, why are you recommended this racist comic book <laughs> <laughs> yeah I kind of don't want to oversell but I'm just relishing it I'm absolutely I'm taking my time I am thoroughly enjoying every page so and that's always a go. good sign of a book whether it's a, a, a comic book or a novel or something that you don't rush through it because you want to take your time and enjoy it because you don't want it to mm. end I'm taking notice of every decision and I'm just sort of in that mindset now reading it where I can see certain patterns being set up, 
it's just a very interesting word to me. So there you go. Mm, sounds Excellent. good. I would give it 10 flawlessly drawn panels out of 10. Oof. Ooh. <laughs> Have we had a 10 out of 10 before? Only for Monday. <laughs> it's in good company then. Well, I believe got an 11 out of 10. <laughs> my girlfriend got me for my birthday a Cheddar Goblin t-shirt which I am very proud of. So if anyone's seen Mandy, I know I've given you all copies of Mandy to watch. Um, <laughs> which inexplicably, none of us have watched. There's a character in it, it's called the Cheddar Goblin, who's basically a quite poor quality figure or man in a costume that vomits up breakfast cereal that is then eaten by the kids. I just want to thank you for ending my recommendation on such a high note. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's quiz time. I know nothing about this, but John and Dan have put together some questions for us. So I'm just going to, for some reason, hand over the reins to them. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Dan, do you want to go first with whatever topic of questions that you have? Uh, sure. So my quiz is called Five by Five, which is a Buffy reference, but it's hey. five questions about the fifth film in five different franchises. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Do you all have a suitable answering noise that you can buzz in with? Five. <laughs> Beep. Ian. Meow. That will do. It's my name, you see. So, question one. Which rock star appears in Pirates of the Caribbean 5? Five. five. Meow. That was John. Keith Richards. Incorrect. Oh. oh that would have been my guess. He's in one of them, isn't he? Maybe it's an earlier one. Mick Jagger. Uh, not Mick Jagger. Ooh. Who's Ooh. a piratey rock Is star? Is it Johnny Depp, the popular rock star from the Hollywood Vampires Band? I mean, technically that is correct, so I will give you half a point. But that wasn't the answer I had in mind. Is it Ed Sheeran? Because he's everywhere else. Um, the answer is, in fact, Paul McCartney. Oh. Uh, he shows up in prison uh, playing Jack Sparrow's uncle, who he believes to be his dad, who was played by Keith Richards in the third and the fourth films. Um, I mean, I haven't got anywhere near number five in that franchise. But I don't intend to. Is it as terrible as it sounds, or does it work? The fifth one is pretty bad. Uh, the McCartney cameo is okay, it's a lot more wink-wink even than the Keith Richards ones, but I wouldn't go out of your way to see it. <laughs> um, has Paul McCartney even been in a film since uh, Give My Regards to Broad Street? Don't think he has. There may be a reason for this. Yes. <laughs> so are we ready for question two? Yep. To which country does John McClane go in Die Hard 5? Meow. I think that was Peter first. Uh, Russia. Correct. A point. Hey. He's on vacation, as he tells us a hundred thousand times in the film. It's in every film, isn't it? Question number three. What is the subtitle of Police Academy 5? Beep. Peter. Oh, Mission to Miami. Ian. Five. I will... <laughs> no, it's not right. Uh, it's not quite correct, so I will give it to John. Assignment Miami Beach. <laughs> Ian oh. was first. <laughs> was Ian first? Oh, it's Mission to Moscow. Mission to Moscow is six. Ah. Uh, I think you'll find it's Police on, Academy. Ian. 
Police Academy 2, their first assignment. Police Academy 3, back in training. Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. Police Academy 5, Assignment Myra Peach. And Police Academy 6, Mission to Moscow. That information will stand you in good stead in life, I'm sure, John. <laughs> so I was going right. to get it wrong, be, be, but I, I, it doesn't matter. <laughs> what were you going to go for, Ian? I was going to go for Mission to Moscow. But I... I tell you what, I'll give John the full point... And Peter and Ian can have half a point each. I'll take it. For the wrong answers. <laughs> and half the answer. They put the effort in. I can appreciate <laughs> it. So, question four. Who directed Star Trek V? Ian. I think that was everyone at the same time, but I'm going to go with Ian. William Shatner. Yes, yep. he did. That's a point. So, as we go into the final question... Uh, Ian and John have both got one and a half points. Peter has got half a point. Hazel's yet to get off the mark at the moment, but this final question put in a lot is of effort, worth... though. <laughs> I got one, I got question two, didn't I? Oh, did you? Yeah. The... Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Peter got question right. two right, okay, even so... though he was the last one to buzz in for it. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, we are we're working remotely, and I do have a three second delay on my responses here, so I'm not hearing people as they answer. Um, I think with Hazel that in gets mind, first answer for the next question. Hazel gets first answer for the next question, which is worth ten points. So whoever gets this one right wins. So question five: Complete the quote from Fast Five. The most important thing in life will always be meow. Dot dot dot. Go on, Hazel. Family? You're not far off. Anybody else with an answer? Steroids. <laughs> cars. Is it cars? <laughs> speed. It's, it's not cars and it's not speed. Is it friendship? Similar lines to Hazel. The answer is the most important thing in life will always be the people in this room. <laughs> oh. And then I think he does say family after that. So we'll give the 10 points to Hazel. Hazel wins. Yeah. <laughs> you're lucky. You're lucky my sack of fun does not travel remotely, Hazel. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the reason for lockdown. Uh, it's deadlier than COVID. <laughs> so if nothing else, I hope this quiz has proved that the fifth film in the series is always a film, not the best. <laughs> I can't think of also any. see Rocky. Oh yeah, Rocky Five. Technically, you could count Star Wars, maybe, but that's sort of also the second film, which would make the fifth film Attack of the Clones. Mm. Mm. What was the fifth uh, Marvel Universe film? Ooh, Captain America. Um, Thor, I think. No, yes, it was Captain America. Depends where you start counting. Yeah, Iron Man, Incredible Hulk, Iron Man Two, Thor, Captain America. Yeah, that is a very good one. I, I like that one. Okay. Thanks for that, Dan. Uh, John, you also have a quiz for us. I do. I have for you five quotes from celebrity autobiographies, whether they be <laughs> actors or musicians, and I would like you to name the celebrity. Number one. I had my first drink at 12. I began smoking marijuana at 10 and had Ping. cocaine at 12. But Drew Barrymore? It is Drew Barrymore. Yes, Peter Strait, isn't there? For a couple of these, I'm going to blank out some names so it's not too obvious who they are. Blank went from sweet, innocent, lovable, all-American teen to blank set whore and Hollywood's pass-around girl. I wasn't a mouse in her pocket for each and every lay, thank God. Answer. 
Is that Dustin Diamond? That is. That is Dustin Diamond. <laughs> oh yeah, from the the, uh, the the Saved by the Bell Tell All book that he wrote. So wow. he's referring to um, Tiffany Ann Thiessen. Tiffany Ann Thiessen as the Saved yeah. by the Bell set whore. <laughs> Crikey. <laughs> Naturally, my birth almost kills my mother, for my head is too big. But soon it is I, and not my mother, on the critical list at Salford's Pendlebury Hospital. If I give you a clue, this one is a singer. Answer? Uh, yeah? No, I was going to say Alfred Hitchcock, but he's not a singer. No. Uh, is it Liam Gallagher? No, nope. you're closer. Light City. Well, it was Salford, so that's what I figured. <laughs> that's oh. a fair is it point. Morrissey? It is Morrissey, correct, Dan, for a point. <laughs> <laughs> so Peter has one point and Dan Ugh. has one point. Two? Two points. So Dan has two points, Peter has one point. Do you know what I've done? I think I might have done six questions. Okay. <laughs> we'll have a bonus one if it's a tie. I have never seen it, but by all accounts it is terrible. However, I have seen the house that it built, and it is terrific. A meow. Oh. Is it Michael Caine? It is. It is yeah. Michael Caine. Talking jo- about, talking about Jaws. Jaws for the revenge, yes. That is correct. So Hazel is on one, Peter is on one, and Daniel is on two. Your next one. I am truly a product of Hollywood inbreeding. With two celebrities mates, someone like me is the result. Answer. Ian. Dan? Uh... I will let Ian answer because he hasn't had a chance yet. Thank you, Dan. You're a, you're a gentleman. I'm going to go for Carrie Fisher. That is correct. It is <laughs> Carrie Fisher. Yay. That's what I would have said. Dan is on two, Peter on one, Hazel on one, and Ian on one as we go to our final one. And um, if you let me have the full quote here before you jump in, if you, if you recognise it. I was writing and needed to concentrate, so I had a do not disturb sign on my back. Eventually, I went to bed and Blank was lying stark naked on the bed. Eat your heart out, fellas. She was wearing the sort of sleeping blindfold you get on long-haul flights. Printed on it was do not disturb. But further down her body, she had a sign that said disturb. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like Nick Cage. It's not Nick Cage, no. <laughs> Where do you get a sign that says disturb? <laughs> I think you have to make one. Mm. That's the only question that comes to mind. (laughs) (laughs) Any ideas? No. Would you like me to give you the quote again, but with the name that I blanked out to see if that helps? Okay. Okay. I was writing and needed to concentrate, so I had a do not disturb sign on my back. Eventually, I went to bed and Debbie was lying stark naked on the bed. Eat your heart out, fellas. She was wearing the su- <laughs> big, it's big not Paul Daniels. Paul Daniels. It, it, it is Paul Daniels, yes. <laughs> uh, so I, I think that's a. I think you both had that at the same time. So that leaves a three-way tie between Daniel, Peter, and Hazel. With Ian <laughs> taking up the veer, but eternally grateful that he didn't immediately jump to. Paul I, I somehow feel proud. <laughs> <laughs> you feel clean. <laughs> What a, what a lovely note to end on. I, th- I, thought, I thought I'd leave you with that lovely, as you're all locked down, yeah. away from the company of others. So now we're left with the thought of Debbie McGree's disturbing crunch. <laughs> well, there's your episode title. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I, 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 I must protest. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
And that brings us to the end of another Nerdfest episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you feel inclined to do so, it would be awesome if you could leave us a little positive rating wherever you listen to your podcast. And John is going to do something amazing for you if you do that. Yes, I am going to put a sign on me that says disturb and let you do whatever you like to me. <laughs> I am sure everyone will be disturbed. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, we will be back in two weeks' time. Until then, you've been listening to... A man who can't wait to imagineer his way out of quarantine. A man who's sure the world is absolutely fine and that there's no evidence to the contrary. A man who is very disturbed now. A man who has seen all the Police Academy sequels too many times. Which, for the record, is once. (laughs) And a woman who needs to go and buy a new sleeping mask. (laughs) We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Well, can we just watch this uh, Jurassic Park 4 first? <laughs> Still better than Jurassic World. <laughs> yep. Okay. All right, Sorry. so it is quiz time. Shut up, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I was only singing the Jurassic Park theme song while playing with a pen shaped like a dinosaur. We've all been there. <laughs> what do you expect from me? <laughs> That's exactly what I expect of you. Exactly that. <laughs>